Yes, yes. Every time we do a new song, the praise team waits with painted breath. Will he remember how the song even goes? Oh, well. <laughs> it's all for Jesus. All right. Well, we are in the book of Leviticus, and uh, we're going to be focusing on chapter 22, but I want to do a quick, just a quick overview of chapter 21 uh, as well, just to make a quick point. Dad was supposed to preach on 21 the first service, but he pulled a junior, and he never got to his message. Uh, Let's pray first, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come before you in in Jesus' name. We're so grateful, we're thankful, Lord, that you've uh, allowed us to be here this morning to study your word together. We're so thankful, Lord, that we can just worship you, Lord, and we can come as we are. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would do something beautiful in our lives, Lord. You already have, but we pray that you would build upon that, Lord, upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, Lord, and that you would put precious things into the walls of our hearts and the walls of our lives and the walls of our homes, Lord. Uh, that, that everything that we do and everything that, uh, every platform that we speak from, Lord, would be uh, a divine one. Uh, Lord, we pray and ask that you would make us to be who you need us to be, Lord, in these last days, Lord, when so many people are without hope and uh, so angry, Father, and um, displaced. And there's such a need, Lord. And, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the people that you need us to be, Lord, to bring that message, Lord, to be the light. Uh, in a dark place, Lord, to be salt, to be the city on a hill, Father, that that cannot be hidden. Uh, We pray that you would have your way in us, Lord. We pray that you would be changing us and renewing us, uh, Lord, day by day, transforming our minds, Lord, uh, just helping us to be uh, who we can be, Lord, only by your power. Uh, Lord, we're grateful that you've called us, and we just don't want to be satisfied staying in one place, Lord, and satisfied to never move forward in our faith, Lord. We want to... We want to have the kind of faith that allows us to give you free reign to bring us new places, Lord, Uh, to break new ground in our lives and in our hearts, Father, even if it's uncomfortable, Lord, that we might see your mighty hand move, see people's lives changed and hearts saved, Lord. Uh, We pray that your will would be accomplished in this place, Lord, and especially in our hearts this this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Leviticus, I just want to do a quick run through chapter 21. Law is the, 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 if you look at your, if you have a new King James Bible, the, uh, the heading before chapter 21, laws regulating the priesthood uh, and the seven great feasts of the Hebrew calendar. That's chapters 21 to 23. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, 21 verse 1, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, none shall defile himself for the dead among his people, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. And also his virgin sister who is near to him, who has no husband, for her he may defile himself. Otherwise, he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. It's interesting because God is speaking to the children of Israel. He's speaking to Moses to to speak to the priesthood in in, in this occasion before they were to enter into the land of Canaan, when they were going to go into the land where God had promised them, that God had given them, and God is very careful in setting up their ways in which they were to worship him. Because when they were in Egypt, they saw people worship their gods in all sorts of crazy and different ways, and they were going to see more of the same and even worse when they went into the land of Canaan. All sorts of 
uh, traditions and all sorts of things that the Canaanites did in the worship of their gods and also in their, in their mourning of the dead, uh, the way that they dealt with life. And death is included in life, right? Death is a part of life, unfortunately. It's, it's, never, it's never convenient when death... Well, I guess... <laughs> It's usually never convenient when death comes. It's always weird. Every time you go to a funeral, you never go to a funeral and people are like, man, this is fun. Never. It's always weird. It's always awkward. You don't know what to say. Uh, but death is a part of life. Uh, but because it's something that is, is, we innately understand that it's not a natural thing because God did not create us for death. Originally, we were created to have eternal life and to have fellowship with him. Death, the word of God says, came through sin. There's nothing natural about it in God's economy. But now in our economy, in the lives that we live in a fallen world, death is just a part of life. And God is telling the children of Israel and specifically the priesthood here in your life and how you live this life and how you perceive things and the way that you look at things and the way that you react to events that happen and occur in the world and in life in general, you're not to do it in the same way as those who don't have hope in Jehovah. You're not to mourn in the same ways that those people mourn that don't have hope. You're not to, 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 to celebrate in the same ways as those people who don't have a relationship with a holy God. You are to stand apart and you are to be separate and you are to be different. Because you are a pilgrim. You are a sojourner. You are passing through this world. This life is a mist. It appears for a moment and then it vanishes away. The thing that matters most are those things that are eternal. And that's why Jesus Christ said that in your lives you ought to be building up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. Because the treasures that you build up on earth are easily taken away from you. The treasures that you build up on earth can easily be broken, can be stolen, can become sick. They can be taken from you. And if your heart is bound up in the treasures that you have on planet earth, you are going to find yourselves at various times in life very sad, very disappointed, and without hope. But if you build up for yourselves treasures in heaven and in that heavenly economy, there's nothing that can touch that treasure. There's nothing or nobody that can take that treasure away from you because it's from God and because it's eternal. And so Jesus says, I want your hearts to be focused on the things that are building up for yourselves those treasures in heaven because nothing can take that away from you. And Jesus went on to say, because where your treasure is, you know the rest, there your heart is also. And we can look around and we can look into our own lives and we can see various times and we're without power and we're not shining the light and we're in despair because treasures of this world that we put great value in have been taken from us or have been affected or have been broken or there's been something that's happened or something that's gone on that's, that's messed with the treasure that I have in this world that I put great value on and so I tend to lose hope or I tend to become angry or I tend to become frustrated and I make myself ineffective to be used in God's kingdom because my focus is in the wrong place. And basically what God is saying here to the priesthood is that your focus is also on the treasures from heaven. 
It's on the ministry. It's on what I've called you to do. Now remember that when we're reading through the Old Testament, we're talking about the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood that God established and that God ordained and that God put the precepts and the laws and the rules around it concerning how it should be ministered. For you and I, it is absolutely 100% relevant in that in the economy of Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, the covenant of grace, sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ that you and I are a part of. We are, the Bible says, a kingdom of priests. In fact, the Bible says that you are a part of a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And so even though, while obviously we're not offering animal sacrifices and we don't have to come to church and, uh, and, and thankfully observe all of, the, all of the rules and all of the regulations and all of the things that the priests had to do because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. You understand? Jesus Christ had not yet come. He had not yet died on the cross making that way. It's not an accident that when Jesus died, you remember when he closed his eyes, when he said it is finished to Telestai, and he closed his eyes in death, that it turned dark and there was an earthquake. And remember that the veil in the temple was torn, and the Bible says that it was torn in half from top to bottom. This is a curtain some 20 foot high up to 3 inches thick that separated the holy place where the menorah and the table of showbread and the altar of incense were from the most holy place where the very ark of the covenant was. And that no one could enter in there and live save for the high priest and that only once a year. And when Jesus Christ said, it is finished, when he said to Telestai, which literally translated means paid in full... The curtain at that point in time, the Bible says, was rent in two from top to bottom. God separating once and for all time the holy and the most holy place. We have access now. We have access into God. We have access into relationship with God. We don't have to worry about coming to church and be struck down dead because of the shortcomings in our lives, because of the issues of sin that we have in our lives. Because we are under the covenant of grace. Because we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the holiness of God has not been diminished with time. And therefore, the reverence in which we ought to hold him should not be diminished because of time. Or because of grace even we should still have that same holy, reverent fear towards our God. And so the things that we do in reverence and the things that we do in separating ourselves unto service to God are not because we have to worry about being struck down in the temple because we have some unrepented sin that we've forgotten about in our lives, but out of relationship now because he's worthy, because he's worthy, because he's our king. Because we want to live our lives in his service. And so God tells the priesthood, you're not to mourn like the others. And except for very close family, immediate family, you are not to go out and be near a dead body. It's an unclean thing when it comes to the service in the tabernacle. Well, why was death an unclean thing? Why was it unclean? Because death is a representation of the result of sin. And the priest was not to tarnish himself even in that. 
We're going to get into some more things that are just very natural things in a part of life. And yet, God said they still make a person unclean. Let's move down. They shall not make any bald places on their heads. Some of us don't have a choice. (laughs) Nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. This is for the dead. This is in mourning. This is the way that the the people of Canaan worshipped their gods and mourned for the dead. They would cut themselves and they would shave their beards and put bald spots on their heads. Even later on, the children of Israel got into a tradition where they were in great mourning or great sadness or, or, or even in, in great dismay over anything. They would rend their garments. They would tear their garments. And it became this traditional thing. Remember when Jesus, when the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God. Are you the son of God? He put Jesus under oath. And Jesus being under oath had to answer the man. And so he said, I am. And remember Caiaphas ripped his high, his high priestly robes, he tore his robes, blasphemy. But when God was dealing with the children of Israel later during the kingdom years, one of the things that the prophets would say to the people is, rend your hearts, not your garments. Don't show me how spiritual you are and how holy you are by rending your garments or by doing this. Show me in your heart. We talk about this all the time. Just like husbands, our wives might say to us, don't tell me you love me. Show me that you love me. Otherwise, it's just blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? Which, by the way, ladies, when we're outside or we're in the basement and you're calling to us, that's all we hear. That's exactly what it sounds like. So you can't get mad at us. We just, it literally is like law, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Show me. And so God would say to the children of Israel, rend your hearts, not your garments. Show me your repentance, not through some outward action, by what's going on in your hearts. And Jesus, when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, was teaching the exact same things to his disciples. That the relationship that you have with God and how close of a relationship you have with God is not determined by the traditions that you keep or the, out, or the, or the outwardly religious things that you do. It's by what's going on inside of your heart. That's why he had the audacity to say to his disciples, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Because everything that they did was a show, was to be seen by men so that they would be called holy, so they could be called rabbi, so they could be called this and they could have some sort of recognition. Jesus said, in your relationship with God and in your giving to God, don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing. And, and, and if you're waiting to, 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 to put tithe in the offering and to, and to, until you get some sort of recognition for it or your name on a plaque, we're just never going to do that here. Because I'll tell you what, I want you to get a reward in heaven. And if I'm up here glorifying you because you're a double giver and you're this or that and you're giving this much and you're giving this, and so I give you some sort of a recognition, congratulations. You've received your reward in full. The heck with that. I want a reward from God. I love you, but I want a reward from God, not you. You know what I'm saying? Because you could do some nice things for me, and I appreciate it, and I love it. New dirt bikes, things like that. But you can't even begin to approach what God can do for me and what God is going to do for me in his rewarding me for some of the things that I maybe have done that no one knows about. Those are the beautiful things. 
The things, the, the, the time that is most precious, the conversation, the words of love most sweetly expressed between a husband and a wife are those that are spoken in private, in secret, when it's just the two of them. And you're together and there's no one else around. And the things that you say to one another and the pleasantries that you exchange to one another, it's not because it's expected. It's not because someone's watching. It's because I love you and this is how I feel about you and this is my heart towards you. And someone else on the outside might look at that and say, you're weirdos. What is wrong with you? What kind of weird language? You know, you say weird things to each other. You know what I'm saying? You know, the things that you, the pet names or whatever and the stuff that you say and the little inside jokes that you have with one another that no one else knows about, that is the nectar, man, of your relationship with your husband or your wife. That is the part that is most beautiful. That is the part that has the most value. It's the secret things. It's the quiet things. You know, I hate, and this is me, you've got to understand, I'm not right, right? You can know this by looking at me, but I'm not right. There's things that normal people have that I just, my brain doesn't work a certain way. I don't like the applause. I don't lo- want to be congratulated because I've been married, my wife and I have been married 23 years. <laughs> who cares? Who gives a rip, really? Oh, who cares, man? Who cares? I, I love my wife. That's why I'm with her. Not because I want some sort of recognition. Not because I want someone to say, look at them. Wow, look at them. No, 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 no. I want the good stuff, man. I want the meat. I want the nectar. I want the precious things. The same goes with our relationship with God. The same, if you're, listen, let me go back a minute. I'm not ever, when I'm up here being weird and wild and stuff, I never am trying to put anybody on the spot, okay? You, you know, and a lot of people like, like, we've been married for, that's wonder, it is wonderful. It is, I don't care, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful for you, okay? (laughs) But God wants those secret things. God wants your worship when it's just you and him. When you're driving to work or when you're by yourself and you're listening to K-Love or whatever you listen to, and, and in spite of all the imperfections in your life and in your heart and all the things you know you do that are jacked up and you ought not to be doing and God ought to just throw you out of the car, quite frankly, but you know that he loves you and he's still seeking to minister to your heart and speak to you and commune with you and you're feeling that and you're hearing that worship song and you're just singing the song or you're thinking the song and you're listening to the song and you feel overcome with emotion, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. And God wants the things that we do to be done from our heart. Uh, He goes on. They shall be holy, verse 6, they shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God For they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. In other words, they are the stand between. They are the ones who stand between God and men. They are the ones that are put into the ministry. And so their lives ought to be conducted in such a way. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. Therefore you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. And they would be, traditionally they would be stoned to death first and then burned with fire. I don't know if that makes it better for you. I would rather be stoned first, personally. If I gotta go, right? If you kill me first and then burn me, I'd be, much, I'd be very, very grateful to that. But, but this, again... Guys, this is pre-grace. 
This is before Jesus Christ. This is God's standard. And, and, and God has never looked at sin ever in the history of, the, of our planet. God has never looked at sin and went like, I understand. Don't tell. Don't tell Gabriel. Between you and me. Never. Ne- never. The, the simplest sin. Sin in itself and what it is. The Bible says that God is angry with sin every day. Why? That doesn't mean that God's up there going, oh, oh, give me a chance. Uh, just give me one chance. Uh, let, me, let me at him. Let me at him. That's not what it means. God hates sin and he's angry with sin every single day because he looks down at a world and he receives the results of sin. He sees broken lives and broken homes and death and dishonor and destruction everywhere because of sin. And he sees it completely as it is. He sees it exactly as it is with no pretense and no perfume on it and no mask put on it. He sees sin exactly as it is. And it is profane, and it is evil, and it is wicked. And God hates it, and he's angry with it every single day. I'm glad I don't live under the law. He who is the high priest among his brethren, uh, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who is consecrated to wear the garment, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes. There you go. Nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother, nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And remember always the consecrating oil, that anointing oil that was poured over the head of a priest or a king when they were put into service is a representation of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the oil, that is a representation always, that holy, that pure oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed, you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit and put into the ministry. And there ought to be something completely different about us. And we ought to deal with life, and we certainly ought to deal with death differently than the rest of the world does. He shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot, these he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as wife. Nor shall he profane his posterity among his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. For any man who has a defect shall not approach. A man blind or lame who has a marred face or any limb too long. Some people say that my mole here would, on my face would de- whatever. Would, I wouldn't be able to serve. I think it's beautiful. It's a beauty. It's a beauty mark. Amy Fallon in fifth grade. She used to say, "What's that thing on your face?" And I'd go, "It's it's a beauty mark." And she'd go, "Where's the beauty?" <laughs> so I may or may not be. I don't know. Here I am. Um, <clears throat> a, bl- a man blind or lame who has a marred face or any limb too long. A man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, or eczema, or scab, or is a eunuch. Okay? No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy, only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, sanctify them. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. The purpose of this portion where God's talking about a defect, it's not because God doesn't like dwarves. 
okay? It's not because God doesn't like lame people or blind people. Not to any stretch of the imagination is that the case. God created each individual person as they are. The Bible says that we were knit together in the womb. There's, there's no defect or what we would call an abnormality that is something to be ashamed of or looked down upon, ever. This is a very specific reference to when it came to ministering within the tabernacle and later on the temple of God. That everything had to be perfect, both of the sacrifice. Remember, you, weren't, you couldn't just bring in, oh, it's time to offer a sacrifice. Why don't you bring in three-legged Willie over there? We'll bring him in. You know, he's, he's just holding the rest of the herd up. No, 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 no. God said you bring the very best. You bring the very best of what you have to offer to the Lord your God. The sacrifice had to be perfect. Why? What did it represent? Jesus Christ. It was a representation of a future work God was going to do through Jesus. That's why Jesus is called the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice. And because the sacrifices in the Old Testament were a representation of what God was going to do in the New Testament through Jesus, they had to be perfect and without spot or blemish. And in like manner, the priest is also a representative of Jesus Christ, a representation, rather, of Jesus Christ. Jesus is both the sacrifice, and he is our high priest. And so because they were a type of Jesus Christ in their, do, in their, in their offering of the, of the sacrifices and, and in their doing the works of the priesthood, because they were a picture, they also had to be without spot or blemish. It wasn't a personal thing. And a God, of course, made sure to take care of the needs of the people who were born in such a way. They were still of the family of Levi, and they still were able to eat of the sacrifices and eat of the bread they were to be taken care of. And there was different jobs and various things that they were able to do around the tabernacle and around the temple in later years that they were able to do, but they couldn't enter in to offer sacrifices. And that's the only reason. Again, glad we're not under the law. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am the Lord. In other words, all of the things that they are doing in their priesthood, in the sacrifices, and all that. And here's a perfect example, okay? It's late. Aaron's been at the tabernacle all day offering sacrifices. Every time he leaves the tabernacle and head, heads back to the tent, he trips and falls. He stubs his big toe. He hates it when that happens. There's no flashlights, so I'm just going to take the menorah. <laughs> and the menorah is going to light my way. No, 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 no. Do not profane any of the things that have been separated to God. The menorah is for that purpose. All the things that God has instituted and that God has anointed and God has ordained to be used in the service of the priests and the sacrifices and the people are holy and they're to be used in such a way. It's this idea of the things that God has put into your life and the things that God has anointed in your life are to be treated as such and not to be used in a base way or in a common way. Our very lives, that the Bible says, that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And that's what God is saying to the children of Aaron. 
Say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord. Again, this would be the table. This would be the altar. This would be all of the things, all the articles of the temple, of the tabernacle. While he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Where it gets gross. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or who has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has had an emission of semen or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he could be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be, the person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat the holy offerings unless he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat the holy offerings because it is his food. Interesting here. So, a priest in his daily duties, okay, you know, there's a creepy critter, and, 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 and this very well may happen. You go into the, you, they're in the desert, okay? You go into the tabernacle, and there's a, there's a, there's a snake taking warmth under the menorah or something like that. Well, what do you do? I run for me. I call somebody else. I'm out of there. Forget the uncleanness thing. I'm terrified of those vicious monsters, right? If you were to take that and, and, and put it outside, this creeping thing, you're now unclean. And it's, it's all these different things that are like a natural thing. Like can't, you can't help this. Or you can't help that. Or this happens and this happens. God knows. God knows. The Bible says he knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And keep that in mind. You start getting a high opinion of yourself. God knows that you're dirt. You know what I mean? You say, what are you, what, what, what are you, how do, I'm just a dirt bag. Right? Quite frankly, I'm just, a, I'm just a dirt bag. But that's a good thing. You see, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to understand that God created me out of dirt. Because you don't have high expectations of dirt. And so when I act like dirt, God is not shocked and appalled. He understands. But I like this portion because nevertheless, what's right is right. Nevertheless, even though he understands our frame, even though he understands who we are, he understands we're dirt and we do dirty things. Nevertheless, he's a holy God. And he's a righteous and just God. And we have to acknowledge that. You ever talk to somebody about, well, you know, the Lord would, would have you do this. The Lord, no, I can't help this. I can't help this. I know. I know you can't help it. I know you have this weakness. Or I know this goes on. And I know you're a victim of circumstance in this way or that way. I know. But that doesn't ever negate God's word. It never negates God's word. Well, you have to understand. You have to, God doesn't have to understand anything. God doesn't have to understand anything. Listen, he loves you. We've, been, we've already established this, correct? He loves you. He sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. He sent his son. So God is wildly passionate about you. God loves you. But God is not concerned about how you feel about things. God is not concerned about you, how you feel about things as it pertains to obeying or not obeying his word. Not at all. God says he honors the word above his name, and so we ought to hold it in the same reverence. It doesn't matter. God understands. Yes, God understands. God understands. But nevertheless, his word is his word. 
And a lot of times we can read different portions of Scripture. This isn't realistic for my life. This doesn't work because of my situation. I, I can't make this happen because of my situation. Bring that to the Lord. Bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you know the drill. You know the deal. You know where I'm at. You know what's going on. I understand this is what the Word says. And gosh, I want to honor your Word. I want to do the right things. Help me or show me how you want me to respond to this. But never, ever, 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 ever just say, that doesn't pertain to me. Never. That's not the way it works. Uh, and so if they became unclean in such a way, they couldn't go near the sacrifices. They couldn't go near the articles of worship. Okay? They could, that's it. I'm, it's not your fault, but you can't do that. Go take a bath. Right? You gotta go take a bath. And then when the sun goes down, when, remember, on the, the Jewish day ends at about 6 o'clock. So when the sun goes down, a new day is started. The Bible says His grace, His mercy is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. You've washed. A new day is here. You're brand new. Now go ahead and eat of the sacrifices. It's yours. It's yours. Uh, Verse 8. Whatever dies naturally or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself. I am the Lord. The priests were only to eat the meat of the sacrifices. That's what they were to eat, was the meat that came from the sacrifices. God was their inheritance, and that was their food that they had to eat. The sacrifices that were offered, that was for them to eat. That's where their meat came from. No dead animals um, or nothing, no roadkill, I guess is what you say. Um, (laughs) They shall therefore keep my ordinance lest they bear sin for it and die thereby if they profane it. I, the Lord, sanctify them. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it, because he's a part of his house. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it. Now, again, this is not because God didn't like outsiders. What did he command the children of Israel and how they were supposed to treat foreigners who came among them and who wanted to live and dwell with them and worship God, who wanted to become a part of them? How did God instruct them to treat those people? As yourselves. You are not to take advantage of them. You are not to look down upon them. You are not to treat them in any way that's unfair. You are to treat that person like they've been an Israelite and their family's been an Israelite for generations. They're a part of our camp now. That means they're a part of my family too. I love that about God. Nevertheless, in the priesthood and the food that was uh, for the priest to partake in, no outsider may eat it. Why? God's rules. I think it's, I mean, to me, it's just that simple. And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it. So your, your daughter brings a, a fellow home and said, Dad, I met this guy, you know, out here. This is a new guy. I bring him around. And he's like, hey, nice to meet you, Mr. Aaron, Mr. Levite. Hey, what's that there? You're going to eat that? And he grabs the rack of lamb and he takes a bite out of it. You just ate from the sacrificial food. But it was unintentional because the, the boy that your daughter brings home is an idiot. He's a moron. He's good for nothing. Useless human being, right? 
doesn't know, though. So you have two choices here as a priest. You could just say, oh, you'll be fine, I'm sure. <laughs> you could do that. But that's not what God said. He <laughs> said, you've got re- to give it back, plus a fifth, plus a fifth. So again, unintentional, God understands, but restitution would still have to be made. They shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of Israel, which they offer to the Lord, or allow them to bear the guilt of trespass when they eat their holy offerings, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. That's the theme, that God sanctifies those whom he's called into the priesthood. And so every part of their lives and everything that they do and every interaction that they have was to be seasoned with that in mind. That we're not just free to, we're, to, to do anything that we want. We're not just free to be able to live our lives in any way that we see fit. We are free from sin. We are free from the consequences of sin because of what Jesus did. That means I could blow it yesterday and repent, and the next day God has taken my sin as far as ways the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. That's the freedom that the Word of God talks about. But in no way am I free to just live my life how I see fit. For heaven's sakes, the things that the church just puts aside now because it's no longer relevant to today's standards. That just doesn't work in 2019. It doesn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize God screwed up that bad. Or he just, God just couldn't see what it was going to be like in 2019. Are you kidding me? You know he was there in Rome, right? You know he saw Egypt, right? You know he knew it was going down in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They were just doing what was their culture to do. You've got to understand, God. You've got to understand this is their culture, man. We can't judge. God judges. We don't judge. But God does judge. And God says what's right and what's wrong. And we don't get to negotiate. I love uh, Lance always had a, he had a shirt that he used to wear. And it was a picture of a knight with a sword and a shield. And it said, I am a herald, not a negotiator. I'm a herald. We're here to proclaim the word of God. This is what the word of God says. And we're to honor that in our lives to the best of our ability. I mean, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, was all about this. The church was living their lives and conducting business the way they always had. There was all sorts of immorality within the church, gross immorality within the church. And Paul says, what are you doing? You're acting as though not only is this just okay, this is the culture we're in, but you're proud of it. Like, look how accepting we are. He said, the people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ and are living in gross immorality, you put them out of the church. And you let them know why you're putting them out of the church. Not because you hate them. Not because we don't talk to sinners. Because you claim to be a child of God and you're living in what the Bible calls gross immorality. Paul says, turn them over, deliver them to Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh. 2 Corinthians, he comes back and he says, the guy repented, you need to bring him back. He didn't send, send him out there to die. He sent him out there for the destruction of the flesh. He's repented. You restore him right into fellowship again. But God doesn't play games with this stuff. And then Paul will go on in 1 Corinthians to talk about the Lord's table, which is the closest thing that we have to the sacrificial system or anything like that, discerning the Lord's body. Paul says it's shameful you guys are gathering together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and one guy's eaten, the other guy hasn't eaten yet. This guy over here is drunk on the communion wine. 
You're not discerning the body of Jesus Christ. We have to live our lives and conduct our lives we are expected to by biblical standards. We don't get a pass. There's no pass because of the culture, guys. And the day is going to come, if it hasn't already in your life, the day is going to come when you're going to have a choice to make. We're all going to, we're going to have a choice to make at some point. It's coming rapidly, man. You can't just say what's right anymore. You know very well. The things that the Bible says are right and the things that the Bible says are wrong, if you speak that in an open forum, you are a bad person. You know this. You're a bad person. And our job is not to try to offend people and so we don't go out there hitting people over the head with the Bible like it's a battle axe. But if we're in a situation where we're presented with where, what do you say? And what do you say? And where do you stand? We better stand on the Word of God. We better stand on what the Word of God says. Because God doesn't make any allowances for culture. And Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'm going to deny you before my Father. Listen, I knew you. We can be dirt and we can screw up and we can do all these things. But if someone shows up and says, you belong to Jesus, I don't even know who Jesus is. No, no. Then you're not a Christian. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do things right all the time. You could be the biggest screwball in the world, like me. But when someone comes, shows up and says, whose do you belong to and what do you believe in, I darn well better tell them. Because if I don't tell them, the Bible is very clear about this, their blood is on my head. I'm the watchman. You're the watch people. <laughs> We're all watchmen. And so when we're given an opportunity to sound an alarm and to say this is right and this is wrong, regardless of what's going on in the culture, this is what God's Word says, and we have to stand on that. <clears throat> this is not a grace issue. God expects us to sound off. You know what I'm saying? Hey, man, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Uh, I, I go outside and <clears throat> I wander too far in the woods and get hit by the train. And I'm standing before the Lord. Hey, how come, how come you didn't? Well, listen, I didn't want people to make fun of me. Yeah, you, do you? Jesus, I don't think you realize what would happen to me on Facebook <laughs> if I stood against this or I stood against that. You know what I'm saying? If you tell people abortion is murder, you're immoral. I don't care. Fight me. I mean, sir, I'm sorry. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. The fact that, that we're, we were doing eugenics like Nazi Germany, I'll go crazy. Because God's word is true. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what people, well, you've got you to understand. I've got to understand nothing, man. I've got to love people. And I do love people. And I'm not judging people. But what the word of God says is right, is right. And we have to stand on that. And what's more, God wants us to. I believe God wants to put us in a situation. Because a person who might marginalize you and might tell you that you're a, a, a piece of junk person and you're a bigot and you're a visophobe or a thataphobe or a this a thing or that a thing, that very person may be screaming at you, but inside that truth is ringing in their hearts. And you may leave that confrontation beaten and battered emotionally, but they may leave that confrontation, God's worked them over good. 
Not because of our anger, not because of our, but because of the truth. Jesus said very plainly, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Don't you love when Facebook decides what Jesus would do in this situation or that situation? I mean, he would be crucified in the media first and then crucified again in the streets. There's nothing politically correct about Jesus. He wasn't a hippie. He wasn't a soft and gentle. Ah, well, I don't know, guys. It's really not my place. To... He loved people. He was tender with people. He always offered people forgiveness. He never went after people. But he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. Even when everyone forsook him, he spoke the truth. He knew there'd only be a few. He knew there would only be a few people that would stick with him. And gosh, at the end, they even fled him. And yet he spoke the truth because that's what has to be done. We all of us have a responsibility. Now listen, you have a relationship with God and I am not your high priest and I don't know how that looks in your life. It certainly doesn't look probably how it looks in my life. I mean, you poor, if you had to live like I do, I, I mean, goodness gracious. I don't know if you'd make it to Thursday, you know. I'm not saying because I have hardship because I, I'm, I'm a weirdo. So that's the point I'm trying to make here. But you know how it looks in your life. This is where you say, God, how does this apply to me personally? What are you showing me today? What do you need me to do differently? Where do you need me to go? This is storing up treasure in heaven. That, that's what it is. Sitting here in church, we're, we're not really getting any extra credit for this, guys. I hate to tell you. This is just where we are because we love them and this is what we do. But what happens after we walk out those doors? Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday? That's where you earn some serious overtime treasure. And double time and triple time treasure. And God wants us to be about the business of the Father. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. and uh, Lord, thank you for... Um, the calling in our lives, Father, and I, I pray that you would help us to, to be surrendered to that, Lord, and, and um, Lord, that e each one of us, Lord, would, would examine ourselves, Lord, and, and, uh, and ask you what, what you would have us to do, Lord. Um, we pray, Father, that you would help us not to be impressed with the opinions and thoughts of, of the world, Lord, um, but we would be impressed by what your word says, and we would be impressed by what you speak to our hearts, Father, and we would always be looking for an opportunity to spread that truth, Lord, in love, uh, seasoned with grace, Lord. And yet, the truth is what the truth is, Father. Help us to remember that, Lord, and to go forth from this place. And, Lord, to the best of our ability, with your help, Lord, because, boy, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us and give us the words to say, Lord, because we don't know what to do. But we pray that you would help us, Lord, say no to ourselves, say no to our pride, say no to the acceptance of our peers. Uh, Lord, and instead to just be truthful uh, and faithful, Lord, to your word. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We praise you. I pray that you bless every single person here, Lord, as they go from this place, that you'd watch over them, that you'd protect them, that you'd be with them, Lord, that you'd continue to speak to their hearts and into their souls and spirits, Lord, that you'd use them in a mighty way, Father, as I know is your will. Lord, we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody.